Good morning, New Life Manitou. Oh, hi. My name's Jamie. Hello. This is Elijah. Isn't he cute? He's the best. All right. If you're able to, would you stand for the scripture reading? Today's reading is from Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you, all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you stay standing as we pray, Lord? Um, I pray over us, myself, this congregation, Lord, a simple prayer. Lord, help us to understand these words. Help us, Lord, to work out a salvation with fear and trembling, as this word says. It's, it's a hard word, but Lord, you help us, and it's your will, it's your work inside of us. So we praise your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God's people shouted with joy. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This sermon series is on the book of... Philippians, I think it's the sixth or seventh week now. Last week was a sermon that answered the question, what is God like? And uh, Brett so wonderfully with his words at the end of the sermon said something, just a sentence that summarized the whole sermon for me and for all of us. He said, Jesus, God himself is not looking down his nose in anger at humanity, but rather with a towel around his waist, washing our feet, he is looking up at us. And so that is what God is like. Today's sermon will answer a question as well. This sermon will answer the question, who are we? Who are we? So we'll look today, part of this sermon, there's two points this, uh, today, this sermon. Of, the first one is a point of encouragement, and the next point will be a ch- point of challenging us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Two points, usually my sermons have three points, I apologize, but there's, there's two points here, and that's, that's, that's what we're, thank you, it's fine, thank you, thank you, thank you, works for you, okay, good. Um, first point is this, let's just dive, oops, right in to the sermon. Point number one, we'll put it on the, on the board here, salvation is not earned by works. Let me say that over here, salvation is not earned by works. Salvation is not earned by works. Let me be, because this sermon, when we're talking about working out our salvation with fear and trembling, you could leave here and wonder. You could be like, well, what, what does this church believe about works? What, is, what, what did he say this morning? And so I want to be clear. Point one is that salvation is not earned by works. Let's look at this passage, verse 12. I'm going to read this several times throughout this sermon this morning. I hope that's okay with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to him. Therefore, dear friends... 
as you have always obeyed. Think about that encouragement right there. Not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. So you've, you've been obeying when I was there, and when I'm gone, you're obeying. Well done. Continue. So another encouragement. Continue. You're already doing this. To work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then listen to this. This is the point here that I want to make about salvation not being earned by works. Because it's right along with it. He says, work it out with fear and trembling. And then verse 13. For it is God who works. Who works? It's God who works in you and will and to, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good promise. So he's calling us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But in the same time, he's saying it's, it's God's work in you. He's the one who is working. So let's look at this passage. It starts off, uh, verse 12, with a therefore, and I love cheesy preacher jokes, as you know. And so whenever you see a therefore, you're supposed to go and look and see what it's there for. Some of you know it. All of you probably know it, but some of you look amused. Some of you do not look amused. Um, If you know me, you know I love the silly, cheesy jokes. So if you look and see what the therefore is Therefore, you will see the passage that we studied last week, which is of Jesus, God himself, humbling himself, giving up some of the privileges of divinity to become one of us and to serve us. He is the greatest servant. Therefore, what does it say? Well, then to to keep obeying and to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let me start off this sermon, this point here, by just saying clearly what I want to say so that we don't leave here thinking, well, do we earn salvation? How does this work? Do I have to be good in order for God to love me? How does this work? Let me share with you exactly what I mean. And it's salvation is not earned by works. That's the point. That's point number one. We need need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but it's God's work in us. It's his grace in us that we earn salvation by his work on the cross only. We need the Lord. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot work our way into heaven. I'm being very clear now because some people might tell you, hey, if you're, if you're going to be uh, saved, you need to do this and that. Lots of religions, you can name them along the way. Talk about earning your way to uh, To God and Christianity is a religion, maybe one of the only religions that at the heart of it, I think maybe it's the only religion at the heart of it, it's like you don't need to work for your salvation. God does the work, and then from there, good works come out of our lives. We need the Lord, amen? We need the Lord. And I was listening to, uh, I listened to a lot of books on tape. Anybody else a book on tape? Or book on CD, book MP3, you know what I'm talking about. Who has tapes anymore? It's, it's uh, anyways, audible books. Uh, so I'm listening to uh, a book, and it's about the beatnik generation. Do you know what that is? The kids who were uh, young in the, in the 60s, they were the teenagers in the 60s, they were the cool, hip, jive, man, kids that, that were the counterculture movement. So I'm listening to this interview of this book on on tape uh, of, a, of a young kid. He's like 16 or 17, and he's in uh, Greenwich Village in, in New York, the kind of uh, epicenter for the uh, cool culture of the beatniks back then. And this kid, with just all the pride and arrogance of a 16, a 17-year-old, is going on and on. And the interviewer is asking him, like, how are you so cool? He's like, well, I'm just cool, man. I'm really cool. And he's talking about how cool he is and how he dresses and how he's got it all together. The conversation goes from the coolness to religion. 
And he begins to say that he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need people. He doesn't need God. He thinks, uh, I'm strong. Look at me, man. Look at these muscles. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. I make good choices. I live my life. I don't need God. I'm listening to this interview just thinking, wow, the arrogance of this young 16, 17-year-old kid. And then I thought, I wonder where this kid is now. If, if he was 16 or 17 in the, in the early 1960s, I would put him in his late 70s, maybe early 80s, uh, depending on exactly how old he was and when the interview exactly took place. But here's now a man, if he's still living, if God has graced him with um, a, a long life to, to not be a 16-year-old looking forward to life, but here now being an 80-year-old looking back at his life, I wonder and I, I hope that he at some point came to his senses and now knows he needs people. He needs God. It's, it's certainly uh, not his own strength that we can do anything. I just thought that that interview kind of wrecked me last week. I was like, man, I wonder if all of us are kind of like that in some ways. Like we go before, I don't need anything. I don't need the Lord. I'm cool. I'm hip. I'm jive. And yet we have these things along the way where we realize actually we need the Lord. We need to recognize him working in us. Let me say it like this, that we are not to work to earn our salvation. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, don't work for your salvation. What does he say? He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I was listening to a sermon on this passage. I listened to quite a few sermons throughout the week in my preparation uh, for, to speak to you all, and I heard a pastor say this, work out what has been worked in. I like that. Work out what has been worked in. If you're taking down notes, that would be a great kind of summarization quote of, of what I'm saying here. We need to work out what has been worked in. Paul here is talking to believers. He's not talking to people that are seeking and trying to figure out if they believe or not. And Paul's saying, oh, you need to work for your salvation. No, no, no. He's talking to people who are already saved, who are already living a life. He exhorts them and says, you're already doing this. You did it when I was there. Now I've heard about you uh, living out the life while I've been gone. And so work out what has already been worked in. A very famous uh, scholar, uh, a Christian, uh, it just died a couple uh, years ago. His name is Dallas Willard. Does that name, have you heard that name before? He's a, a theological writer, a philosopher. He translated a lot of uh, German philosophical works into English, a scholar of scholars, a professor, uh, and then wrote a lot of books on spiritual formation. When I was in seminary, took a class on spiritual formation. Maybe you've read this book, and I read the book, uh, The Spirit of the Disciplines. Are you familiar with this book? It goes through all the disciplines that Christians do in order to work out their salvation. And Dallas Willard is, is very famous for believing that the passive, pass, pass, <laughs> what is it? Passiveness, passivity, passivity, gosh, I need to communicate better. Passivity, Whew, that was a hard one for me. Willard believed that the passivity to be a widespread problem in the church. I agree with him that, that we are too passive in our faith. Dallas Willard emphasized that the importance of deliberately choosing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, that if someone is going to be with Jesus, they need to learn to be like Jesus. Here's a quote by Dallas Willard summarizing what I just said. Grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. 
So we need to, we need to have effort in, in our following of Christ. We need to work out our salvation, but it's not how we earn salvation. If you're new to, to church, if you're new to this message, it's, it sounds like, oh, you're saying two things. No, I'm not saying two things. We earn salvation by Christ's work, and then when it's in us, we work it out. Our things just come out of us that are like him. We become his disciples by, by working the fruits. The fruits in us, it just needs to be worked out. I have an analogy for that that I'll say a little bit later, but think about this. The, the, what I'm saying now is just just encouraging us to work out what is already in us, and then will come a challenge. The second part of this sermon will be a challenge. But let me tell you a story. Um, there's a lady at the at a stop stoplight, and in front of her is another car at a stoplight, and it turns green, and the car in front of her doesn't move. What do you do? <laughs> you don't honk. You give them a couple seconds. You wait. Thank you. You give them. A- Jeez, give him a couple seconds. And she, she sees that he's moving around. It's not like he's passed out in there. So he, he's doing something. It looks like he's on his phone. And it's just, she gives him a second. Come on, it's green, man. Come on. And then, and then, and then she, she doesn't honk. She toots the horn to one beep. And nothing. He's just standing. Now she's kind of like, come on, man. I gotta play. I'm kind of late. We got to go. It's green. Let's go. Some of you are already getting mad. You've been there. (laughs) It's green. Let's move. You're on your phone. And so then she's like, come on. She gives another little toot. Nothing. He doesn't move. And then she gives a longer toot. This this time, we could say it's a honk. And then she starts to lose it. She gets mad. She rolls down her window. She's like, come on, hey, buddy, let's move. And then she just, And the guy finally puts his phone down, goes through the light, but it's just while it's turning from yellow to red. And there she sits. She's got to wait another cycle. So her window's already down. She screams profanities, profanity, profanities out the window. She does a gesture that I won't do or even talk about because this is church. But she's just, she's she's mad. She's beside herself. She's screaming. She's cussing. She's, She's doing things. And she does doesn't realize that the car right behind her is a police car. And so the policeman turns on his uh, lights, gets out, pulls her out of the car, cuffs her, puts her in the back of the squad car, brings her to the station. She has to sit in a cell for a couple hours. Finally, this cop goes to the cell, sees the lady, and says, everything checked out. She says, what checked out? Well, I, I, I wanted to check the, the, your registration, your ID. I just wanted to do all the paperwork and the background check here because I didn't think this car was yours. He says, you had all these Christian bumper stickers. <laughs> the, the, the bumper stickers, the Jesus fish. If rapture happens, this car will be unmanned. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. Do you know that one? Uh, the, the license plate holder said, follow me to church. And so the cop said, when I arrested you because I thought for sure someone had stolen your car because your actions did not match the bumper sticker. And then I thought, isn't that, isn't that all of us? Like maybe not the road. Maybe it's the roadway. Maybe it's something else. But isn't that all of us. Don't we all profess Christ? If you profess Christ in here, isn't that all of us? At some point, 
needing to work out our salvation. So point number two is just that. Here's the second point, two of two. Work out your salvation. Let me reread this passage to, to take this in. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Paul says this to this ancient church about 2,000 years in Philippi, and these words are still true. They could speak to us. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will, to act, in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the skies. You hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Do you hear all this rejoicing and being glad? We've seen that a lot, haven't we, in the book of Philippians thus far? Thus far uh, the subtitle of this sermon series, Philippians, and then it's complete joy, like rejoicing and joy. So here's a question for you. A, a question, I'll word it in a silly way, a sing-songy way. I won't sing for you. Um, but it's, you'll, you'll get the point. Like, like this, this, I think the way people often view Christianity is not what it really is. So here's the question for you. It's about Christianity, the Christian life. Is Christianity all raindrops on roses? Is Christianity all whiskers on kittens, cream-colored ponies, and crisp apple strudel? Is it? No, it's not. But sometimes, I mean, if you read Philippians uh, and you've been on this series and this journey with us, you'd say, well, wow, Paul talks about joy a whole bunch. We just heard it here. Rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says throughout his letter, he calls everybody brothers and sisters. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. There's unity that love may abound. There's joy. There's joy. There's thanking God for all of you. And I pray for you joy happiness, joy. It's throughout the book of Philippians. And yet, the other side of that is where is Paul as he writes? He's in prison. He's in, he literally says, I am in chains. That's interesting, don't you think? That's not Being in chains, in my mind, is not cream-colored ponies and crisp apple strudels. Is it to you? Because we could, we could chain you up. <laughs> we could let you see that it's not very fun. It's not fun at all. And so yet Paul is in chains writing about joy. It's, it's both sides here. He's talking about a deep inner joy in him. And yet the very serious nature of what he writes about in Philippians 1. He, if someone said this to me, if someone sat down at me as a pastor, them, and just like, I need to talk to you, and they said something like this, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. If they went on to say, I desire to depart and to be with Christ. As a pastor listening to someone talk about that, what, what would you think? You'd think, well, you know, I would probably ask them, hey, do you, uh, how are you doing with depression? And I would probably hint at, like, asking, 
do you, do you have a plan to, to hurt yourself? Like, are you really, are you saying what you really mean here? Are you, are you suicidal? Because it seems like Paul is in such a place that he would much rather leave this world. Although he's talking about joy and joy and rejoicing, he is wanting to leave this world. He's in prison. He is suffering. He's being poured out like a drink offering. That is not a good image of happiness and ponies and whiskers and the kitten thing. That is the picture of the dog biting and the bee stinging and thinking of sad things, right? I've given you a song. It's going to be in your head all day. You can thank me later. Um, let's look at this. Verse uh, 13, or, or verse 12, once again. Dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's not a, that's not a happy image like the, like the song, The Happy Things. That's an image of work. It's like a father telling uh, their kids, I have four little boys, and before they go somewhere, what, what do you do, parents? You're like, they're going to go spend some time at somebody else's house. What do you do? You look at them and say, all right, now mind your manners. Don't do this. Don't do, make sure you, do, you say yes and no, thank you, and, and blah, blah, blah. Parents give these pep talks to kids, right, right before they go somewhere. Um, our house, we live on a, a little road that there's, uh, we have four boys, and then down the road is a, is a family with two girls, and then down the road a little further is a family with three girls, and usually after school, Jay, some of the other ones, Jay's more extroverted after school, he wants to go hang out, I want to go play with the girls, and it's like, okay, so he goes over to their house, and there's a wonderful Christian uh, couple, family with three girls at the end of the, uh, end of the road, and he goes over there and eats all their snacks, and watches movies, and uh, so one time the parents came over made a point to tell us. They said, your son Jay is such a kind gentleman. He's, he's just such a delight to be around, and he's just always minding his manners. And I looked at them like, this kid? <laughs> like they were saying, I was waiting for like the just kidding. He choked out one of the little sisters. He flushed toys down the toilet, and he burnt the couch. Like I was waiting for like the, the just, are you serious right now? Like this little angel? <laughs> But as a father, I was just like, yeah, I guess the things that we talk about, the things that we do, they, 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 they're in him. And he's, he's trying to work out the being a Kirkendall. And that hopefully means doing good things. And it was such a good thing to hear a good report. I imagine Paul getting that good report. You've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now in my absence. He's getting some sort of report that this church is doing it. They are continuing to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And Paul, you notice here, Paul says, continue to work out. They're already doing it. What an encouraging note to get from someone, a father in the faith like Paul, that, that, that I've, heard the, I've heard these reports, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So here's the words, obey, work out, fear and trembling. Not a nice, happy picture, but one of work. Here's one more phrase. Uh, when Andrew Arndt preached this sermon at New Life uh, North, he summarized this whole message with this, and so I will give it to you as well. This is just a great summary sentence if you're writing notes. Write down, a life of godliness is impossible without significant effort. Now, this isn't about earning salvation, but this is about godliness. And if you want to be godly, if you want to be a disciple of Christ and live like it, well, then it's going to take not just effort, but significant 
effort. It's going to take a working out of your salvation. What do you think of when someone says work out? You think of the gym. You think of exercise. Of course. There's 40,000 gyms in our country. That is a lot of gyms. A lot of people work out. Or I should say, a lot of people go to gyms around January. <laughs> right? Anybody work out, work out of the gym? Come on, let's see. A couple people. All right, good. Good for you. Good. That's good. Um, so if you work out of gym, then every January, like Christmas time, there's hardly anyone in the gym. No one's working out. Everybody's got Christmas parties. And then along comes like the first or second week in January. You go back to the gym after the holidays, and you're like, oh, my goodness, what are all these people doing? I used to be able to just get, there used to be nobody on the treadmill. Now there's no room. There's, there's tons of people there. What is going on? Well, a stat says that 80%, 80%, and you know, you know that this is true, uh, eight out of 10 people who join a gym, start working out, have big plans of like, I'm gonna work out for the rest of my life. I'm gonna work out for a full year. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna work out. 80% stop working out, quit their gym memberships within five months. That's just that's what it is. Why? It's an easy answer. Because it's, Work. It's hard work. Did you hear the joke about the guy that, that goes to the gym for the first time, spends 15 minutes on the treadmill machine, followed by 10 minutes on the defibrillator machine, followed by three days in the hospital? Like, it's hard work, right? Going to the gym is not easy. It's hard work. Um, here's the Greek. The Greek of this word, work out your salvation. It's a constant energy to finish a task. You know what makes um, the, the gym uh, better for you? Uh, it probably actually makes the gym harder for you. Working out it makes it a lot harder for you. As soon as I say it, you're like, yeah, that's true. What makes it better is if you have a personal trainer, someone with you. Athletes will say that they couldn't, you know, they, they, as soon as they win some big tournament or win a big record, they'll, they always, the first thing they say is, I want to thank my trainer. I couldn't have done it without my trainer. And, and trainers help people. Think about this in the spiritual truth, having a trainer, having people around you to do life with and work out your salvation makes all the difference. Did you see the big uh, news yesterday, a big feat in athleticism? Anybody see this? That, that uh, a human being, a Kenyan, uh, is his name Ilyud Kipchoke? Did I? I don't know. He's not here. Uh, I, uh, he's, he's a guy that, did you see this? He just completed the first human being to ever run a marathon in less than two hours. This is a four minute, about a four and a half minute mile, which by the way is a full sprint for anyone in here. Um, so he just did this, not just one mile, but 26 back-to-back -back miles at about four and a half minutes. And just like, I, what's amazing to me, it was really cool to see this story because about a year ago, I watched a documentary on this guy. I'm a, I kind of watch documentaries sometimes. And I saw a documentary on this guy. And the documentary kind of made it out to be like, Humanity's getting really close to beating a marathon in two hours, but the documentary kind of went on to say it's impossible. No one's ever going to do it because just the amount of stress required on a human body, it, it's too much, this, this especially uh, to, to run that hard for that long. You have to eat about halfway through the marathon. So imagine running at a full sprint, which is what a four and a half minute mile is, by the way, for anybody in here. You're running full sprint. Think about taking a sip of water running at a full sprint. Forget about it. Think about eating 
eating like a bunch of calories halfway through this marathon. Forget about it. So this guy, he does it. It's amazing. His, his team, and I say team because it wasn't just him running around. He has a coach. He has a trainer. He has a captain of the team. He has 41 pacers. These pacers run with him to help him, and I guess break the, a little bit of aerodynamic wind resistance. 41 pacers, teams of seven, like being filtered in uh, at a time. He had a pace car. He had lasers on the pace car, the pace car driver. It was a whole team when he runs through the finish line in one hour, 59 minutes, and 40.2 seconds. He's, yes, and the whole team team, the pace car driver gets out, the whole uh, group of the pacers are crowding around him. It's like, we did this. And we did. Like, he couldn't have done this without all of those people along the way helping him. So, too, is the Christian life. We cannot work our salvation out without each other, the church, the community of God. I, I met a guy for lunch earlier this week. He, he goes here. I won't say his name, but it's an honoring story to him. And he's a young man that just said, I want to um, be discipled. I'm trying to find guys in my life uh, to help me, to help disciple me on my journey, on my path. And what do you think? Could you want to be one of those guys? And I said, sure, I would love to do that. And here's a guy, I just thought about the exact opposite of this young man, godly, wanting help and, and, and to live and work out his Christian life. This guy, compared to the beatnik guy of the interview I listened to, saying, someone saying, I don't need anything, I don't need anyone. I was just so impressed with this young man. And so he said, how's discipleship work at New Life Manitou? And I thought, well, that's what we're talking about this Sunday. We're talking about working out our salvation. And here's what it looks like. It looks like worshiping, connecting, and serving. We say this just about every week. Worship, connect, serve. We get together and we sing songs. We read scriptures either alone or together. We pray either alone or corporately. We, we do life in such a way that we are worshiping the Lord. We connect. We connect with each other. We connect uh, with family. We connect with this city. We connect with, we're in the city for the sake of a city, for, is a phrase we use around here, so that we can shine like the stars, like we could be these people who are in community, living a life. We serve. We worship, connect, and we serve. There's opportunities around here to serve. And it's not just like, oh, we need help doing what we do. No, 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 no. We have opportunities to serve. So today, after church, downstairs, there'll be a meeting if you're interested in leading worship or being tech, audiovisual stuff for worship. Why? Because serving actually is a part of working out our salvation. I think about Carl. There he is. Carl on Wednesday picked up this drum from our house. And had you played a cajon? That's called a cajon if you didn't know the box drum thing. Have you played a cajon before? Never played a cajon. Erica called some drummers. There was no drummers that usually, usually we have a full kit. And so some, one of us thought of like, well, what about Carl? I bet Carl could keep a beat. And so Carl <laughs> picked up the drum on Wednesday Thursday, Friday, Saturday has been, at least according to Jane, has been playing nonstop, practicing these songs, worshiping along with, uh, with music so that he can serve right here. What is that? What is that an image of? That's an image of working out the ways of the Lord, working out salvation, being a disciple of Christ. This word work out, uh, it's used in the Greek to talk about mining. It's used in the Greek to talk about uh, working out a field to get the fruit out of it. Think about that image for just a minute, that, that someone can own a mine. You own this plot of land. You own the mine. You own all the rights to the, say, silver inside of it. 
it, and it just sits there. It sits in the ground until you mine it out. You work out the silver. What an interesting image for us and for our lives. Paul says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's a lot of different types of fear, isn't it? Um, Think about the type of fear you have if you've done something wrong and you're about to go in the principal's office. That's one kind of fear. Another kind of fear would be getting on a roller coaster. You know it's safe. You know it should be okay, but there's fear there. Think about another type of fear, unfortunately, of being around when there's like a mad, insane shooter, an active shooter. Like I was there in 2007 when a shooter came in New Life North. Maybe some of you were there as well. That's a whole different other type of fear than the roller coaster, isn't it? Or the principal's office. There's different types of fear. And I would say that that the Lord is nothing like an insane, mad shooter going around to hurt people. Instead, I think here the, the, the words are more respect, be reverent towards the Lord. I remember working construction when I was going to seminary. I worked a job. I didn't know anything about uh, construction. I was a framer. I was the guy that like did all the carrying around things and the cleaning up things and slowly learned the craft of framing and woodworking and then some trim carpentry. But I remember like my first week on the job, the boss is like, hey, go down and rip these OSB boards. I'm like, rip the OSB boards? What in the world are you talking about? What does that mean to rip an OSB board? And it comes to find out it's like plywood is OSB and to rip them means to cut them in half and so I asked a bunch of questions the boss realized I had no idea what I was doing so he shows me he shows me the the table saw turns it on the guard had been taken off because to get the boards through you had to take the guard off on this particular model Um, and so there's no guard it's a loud huge table saw I don't have any like I've never used maybe I used one when I was a boy scout but it was like supervised with an adult years ago one time and so here I am standing in front of this table saw the boss shows me how to do it then looks at me and it's like are you afraid and I said yeah (laughs) and he said good stay afraid of this tool respect this tool one mistake and this tool will take your whole arm off it could take a finger off with one just little you need to be afraid of this tool you need to respect this tool it is just that it is a tool and you can get very hurt watch what you're doing know what you're doing i'm going to show you a couple more times and then you'll be safe to do this and so i did it i i I still have all my fingers and arms and but it was it was this realization of like good i'm glad you're afraid of this because it's a sort of reverence and I think that's the kind of language here Paul is saying work out your salvation with fear and trembling and don't do it with grumbling verse 14 says do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation grumbling and arguing that's just about the opposite don't you think of the fear and the trembling. And if you're able to do this, if you're able to work out what's already within you, there is this promise that we will be like the stars in the sky. So this morning, as we prepare to think about the, the table this morning, we, we, every Sunday we have communion. There's the table with the bread and the cup. I think about this message and like, well, what, what does that mean? How, how do we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? What if we're in here this morning and I'm sure there's some of this because many Sunday mornings, this is me just feeling unworthy. And, here, and here's a message about work it out. Come on, fear and trembling. Pull yourself up. Run the race. Let's do this. But you're in here feeling like, oh, 
I've messed up. I'm messing up now. I've messed up this week. I don't feel like working out anything, working out my salvation. What do we do? Well, here's what we do. We, we come to this table and we take in us, literally, we eat the bread, we take the cup, and it goes inside of us like salvation, and there it gives us the energy. Food gives us energy to, to live, to, to breathe, the energy for life. And this, this beautiful mystery of taking communion, it works inside of us, this salvation of God. What are we supposed to do if, if we don't feel like working out ourselves? We, we, many of us in here, if you're honest, I'm not going to ask for hands to be raised. It's, it's a question between you and the Lord, but many of us, I say us because I'm often in this boat of feeling like I can't do this. Like I've tried and I've failed. And what if I don't feel like working out? What am I supposed supposed to do, here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to run into the arms of Christ who stands arms wide open on the cross. And for some of you, for some of us, you can't run. <laughs> you Maybe you can't even walk. And so the good news this morning is that we just look, just look towards Jesus and he will come, he will serve us, and this good thing that is in us, this work will be worked out because it is his work. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm gonna pray. The band, you can come up. So Lord, we, we say this, this same prayer that we started off thinking, the same words of, of meditation and slowing ourselves down. Lord, we say to you, help us, Lord. This simple prayer, we, we can't do this, Lord, without you. We can't work out anything without you. It's, it's you in us and salvation in us that gets worked out by your good work. So Lord, thank you. Lord, we say thank you in advance that you lift us up, that when while we were still sinners and no, no possible way could we run, no possible way could we even walk towards you, Lord, maybe we couldn't even look your way without you coming to us. And you coming in such a way that you made yourself known to us and saved us from where we were, our sin. Lord, you are so good. Lord, we remember you at this table, the bread and the cup. Lord, we thank you for this mystery that we get to partake of your grace. So we praise you, Lord.